from India's largest newsroom I'm Arun George and this is the Times of India podcast The National Council for Educational Research and Training has been in headlines since it emerged that multiple permanent changes had been made in textbooks that will be issued this year. The modifications in a history chapter about Mahatma Gandhi's assassination sparked outrage after bits about assassin Nathuram Godse and the Rashtriya Swayamsevak Sangh or RSS were cut out. However, it's not just history where the changes have been made. Reports have pointed out that references to the 2002 Gujarat riots have vanished from the textbooks. One report says topics like police atrocities and air pollution have also been erased from a textbook. The director of the NCERT Dinesh Saklani maintained that all the cuts made in the textbooks were done only to reduce the burden on students. It is not change in curriculum or syllabus. It was change in books only in order to reduce the content. Politicians from various opposition parties have largely focused on the changes in the history textbooks that they say are politically biased. However, a group of 200 experts, which includes historians, issued a statement criticizing the changes that have been made in all the textbooks. One of the signatories to the letter is Professor Anita Rampal. She was the dean of the Faculty of Education in Delhi University and had worked on the creation of school textbooks. In today's episode, we're talking with Professor Rampal about the impact of these changes. She also explains how the textbook changes, proposed changes in schools curriculums and other factors are changing public education in India. Ms Rampal to start with could you talk about these NCERT textbooks um how much do they influence education in India and would say states like say a Kerala which has objected to changes in history textbooks would they be able to change their textbooks in order to sort of bypass changes that are made in ncert textbooks yes you asked uh, an important question because kerala right now is uh, debating on these issues and i happen to be on a core committee there on on the curriculum revision so many states use the higher secondary 11th 12th textbooks from ncert even the other textbooks ncert gives them a camera ready copy and states can have an mou and include some chapters on their own and use what the ncert has made so you know for many years this has been happening but yes 11th 12th is an issue because you can't suddenly produce these books now so you know they were uh, they obviously don't want to use the deleted versions uh and so now they will have to they have said i think the minister has given the statement that they'll be using the earlier version the unedited version as they were so how would that work because if ncert stops say publishing those old textbooks um you know wouldn't it in effect be really difficult to then continue would then say states have to bring out their own versions of textbooks based on ncert textbooks if they want to keep that going states can have that uh, freedom to do that the constitution allows in fact tell states that they make their own curriculum and they choose whether they want to use these in toto or they want to use them and add some component of their own you know which they've been doing even in the other 9th 10th or other classes so that is up to the states obviously you can't produce uh, 11th 12th uh, textbooks with the kind with the with a group and with the expertise suddenly within 6 months so obviously states will have to take this decision those that don't want the edited version will have to see 
how they can legally work on on using uh, the earlier version without having to produce completely new ones what will be the understanding and what they communicate to uh, ncrt but professor anita rampal points out that apart from the time that it takes for states to bring out new textbooks there's another issue that they would need to deal with the competitive exams that students are required to write after class 12 and if the exams are based on the matter in the ncrt textbooks they can't be ignored what worries states is uh, even earlier that uh, cbsc books were becoming the kind of exit level text for school and the entry level text for admission into various kinds of tests or even um, in the ias exam or something like that now a uh, very concertedly when the cuet the common entrance test or the neat or these kinds of tests which the center is pushing in terms of a centralization of entrance tests that is questionable because that they clearly saying is going to be based only on cbse professor rampal says that under existing guiding principles there's no set period after which textbooks need to be revised there's also no real requirement for revisions but in 2020 when the pandemic hit schools were shut courses went online that's when a process of rationalization was carried out in ncert textbooks under this process certain portions of the textbook could be cut out of the syllabus so that students didn't have to study it for exams professor rampal says that even when cutting things out of a syllabus it needs to be done carefully she says the latest revisions are an extension of a process that started during the pandemic normally there are no revisions which are done in this way unless there is something like they did the covid revision so called covid because they used the covid to again delete the same kind of things and people had raised this question but that was again it was a list given out it was kind of booklets given out and uh, the books remained the same as they were but now they have deleted that in the books so that they made that into a permanent thing within covid in any case many things were disrupted and uh, uh, i remember the first time the media had asked me i said you don't do uh, even a revision for an emergency like covid you don't do this way there is a certain sequence you have to understand because each concept each theme each topic falls within a pattern of progression of how ideas are going to be developed how students understand this is not a disciplinary exercise that as a discipline i think this comes after this you know there is no chronology only coming from the discipline it has to follow the sequence and the pattern and the depth and complexity and the abstractness of a certain concept and how one builds on the other or how students at what age with what connections in their lives do they actually understand these so that is how technically it should be done you can't pick up something throw it out we have been following in the sense critiquing writing about ncrt that's our work that's my work i've been working with textbooks in different states that's something we do and i teach this i also teach curriculum studies but uh, the way this was done was completely devoid of any such consideration or any such discussion so then with the latest changes in the ncrt text history textbooks particularly you are among a group of over 200 experts who've signed on a letter objecting to the changes and deletions made in the upcoming editions could you explain the reason for this letter the reason was because this was being done just without any consultation 
And many of the people who signed it, including me, we are part of the syllabus committees, the textbook development teams, the advisors, chairpersons. So, you know, we've been involved in this exercise and there's been absolutely no consultation or discussion. Plus, it seems to be extremely motivated and a very deliberate selection is being made of what is being deleted. And that is worrying. That's extremely worrying. A contentious cut is the fact that the 2002 Gujarat riots, which took place while Narendra Modi was chief minister, are now allegedly completely absent in all textbooks. Professor Ampal explains the logic of the inclusion of the riots that resulted in the deaths of over 1,000 people in textbooks. For us, it was important because for the first time, very sensitive uh, political issues also dealing with the role of parties and where they were and the socio-cultural context in which, say, a riot happens. Now, riot is a very sensitive issue. How do you talk about it? You just don't give a year and date and say so many people died. How do you build on the understanding of the tensions that happen? So this was done in one political science textbook, class 12, where at the regional level, you're also looking at the Gujarat riot. And in another chapter, you're looking at the Delhi riots, the anti-Sikh riots. Both are there and very consciously done because, uh, and I think that, you know, there were the political science group also had just a kind of waiting, a meeting to get people to see that even in the party, some, the, I remember the education minister had just seen this when the draft was ready and said nothing, which was very important for the kind of academic uh, confidence and freedom that you feel you have when you're designing curricula because it's the ruling party and you're talking everything. You're talking about what Justice Nanavati has said. You're talking about an apology that the Prime Minister Manmohan Singh later gave. You're doing all that. And that is what we thought was what is an honest way of dealing with something as traumatic as that. And uh, similarly with the Gujarat, right? But this clearly purges any mention of the Gujarat riot, not just this, this chapter, to pay whatever it is, an earlier chapter, sociology chapter in class 11. So there's no mention of a Gujarat riot, but the entire Delhi anti-Sikh riot is there as it is. So isn't this motivated? What more could be motivated? Like the whole discussion about Gandhi's assassin, this has come in the media, what you write, why they were trying to write, and this is not... You know, this is a known fact of why Gandhi was being targeted. So what is the history of that? And to say that his insistence on Hindu-Muslim unity was something that was irking people. So how can you just take out that sentence and say, Nathuram Godse killed him, finished? Is that you the way you write a textbook? In any case, as I'm saying, these are issues which are traumatic, which are difficult, uncomfortable, but you have to... Uh, trust young people to be able to speak uh, openly in a transparent manner so that they can then take up these issues because students come with their own socializations. They come with their own back background of what they hear and other sources. So when they get something, it's not a dollop of information that is being thrown on them. They're being given to it. They're being uh, given this exposure so that they can question it also through their frames of reference through their ways of how they have looked at these things. So giving one piece of information and taking out the entire reso they are through for putting it there and the entire rational analysis, whatever possible, is again, is terrible pedagogy, but it's also extremely motivated 
because you're then distorting. You're coming with a divisive mind of what is allowed and what is not allowed, what you think is palatable and what is not. And also then the, the entire effort that was made was to try and present a more composite nation or more composite history in terms of how history has been. And uh, to get people to understand that democracy is not just going and casting a vote. While the focus has been the history deletions, um, another report flagged the fact that in other social science textbooks, you have things which seemingly innocuous like a water park in Vidarbha, which is water starved, um, the effects of air pollution and issues that seemingly aren't even very objectively political maybe. Um, Why do you believe we're seeing these changes in areas that one would not even see as political? One, I would like to say that uh, education has to be looked at politically in the sense whenever you're questioning power, it's not a party, but you're questioning disadvantage, you're questioning whose knowledge comes into a curriculum and whose doesn't. Like political science, for instance, tries to give you an understanding in which you go beyond these uh, partisan issues and look deeply into the nature of polity and the nature of power. So, as we keep saying, that uh, just what comes in a syllabus and whose life it shows and what does a textbook show you, not just the names and the visuals, but whose lives, you know. So it tells you there are many lives it does not show or it does not represent or how they are represented. So these questions are not just in terms of colonial and imperial and things like that, but these questions run through even today. In fact, this entire chapter on environmental degradation is out. So why are these out? So anything that can question government decisions or question the role of the government or question what is happening in terms of development, why are people in, in, uh, in the tribal districts uh, so agitated and worried about mining, for instance, or why are they protest movements that are happening there? So people's movements, protest movements, Chipko, you know, these may be things which look non-political, but they clearly political, even if not partisan immediately, if you're looking at which party is involved. Two, then certain parties are going to feel more discomfort in this because it relates to some of the other decisions they may be taking. After all, you're preparing students to question. I mean, that is the whole nature in which you're, these particular books were clearly that. And that's why we see the difference. These were books not made by NCRT, but a whole lot of people. It was a whole you know, ecosystem of people working in education across the country. And that's why many of them, not all, but many of the books came out in a very fine way in terms of the pedagogies that we think should be there, that we teach about. So here was this pedagogy, which was not just throwing out information at you or not just throwing out some questions at you and asking you to repeat uh, uh, the answers, but it was based on social constructivism. That's what we were supposed to work on. The basis of our approach was that any learner is constructing knowledge and the knowledge is being constructed as a social process, not alone. I, as a learner, don't construct my knowledge alone. I construct it through a process of doubting, speaking, not understanding, aligning with people, talking. And that is what a classroom is supposed to be. But with this subject of rationalization, I just want to stay with that. Um, you know, like you said, in COVID, there 
was some logic that okay we cut this chapter out ergo doesn't appear in the exam ergo that sort of load on students is less um how do we know if we are overburdening students is there a sort of rationalization that you know sort of has been pending you believe it should have been done uh during the covid and immediately after the covid we should have been ready state wise as to how we're going to restructure a given curriculum suppose we find that children in primary school have lost out completely on two years which they have and that's a crucial stage when you're learning some things then you have you have time up to class 5 so within a given syllabus you have time for that segment of the syllabus of how you restructure it but it needs that thought it needs that thinking what is it that can be uh, uh, given up and in what way and then what are the other links of the the connections between these concepts how will they be made so you know all that has to be done very carefully and your teachers have to be oriented accordingly you can't do it in 6 months like now bridge courses notionally as a formality for 3 weeks 6 weeks 2 months that doesn't help uh, so what i'm saying is that restructuring we had been asking for called for during the covid that we need that long term vision of what kind of gaps there are that didn't happen but at the same time a uh, one argument a, any critic of the indian education system has is that we perhaps have too much for our children which in turn encourages a certain form of learning which in turn perhaps negates anyway what you're talking about so in that light then wouldn't sort of uh, paring down of what or how much students have to study wouldn't that anyway kind of make sense that's curriculum development mm-hmm. it's not called rationalization mm-hmm. so whenever a curriculum is made you have to keep asking these questions nothing is made forever we have done that in the past we've done that in 2006 to 2008 when these books came out but again with the same kind of a large consultation of scholarship that works there you can't have just someone say i don't like this i'm taking this from a discussion that i had yesterday when someone just said one thing that akbar did goes what he translated the ramayan that's all the one thing that they find akbar did good you really need scholarship which goes beyond what is there in the text or in the syllabus you mentioned the national curriculum framework that is also submitting its reports as of now it's made headlines for uh, its changes and how it wants education to be done in school levels and multiple board exams possibly um you spoke a bit about how it's an unusual scenario that we face in the education system right now but where does this push sort of take it according to you i just look at how it's saying in terms of especially the class 9 and 10 and uh, 11 and 12 um it sounds very nice when we see that we should have many options and we should be doing a very broader spectrum of things it sounds good even today without looking at that we have a challenge of how you make an integrated how do you integrate disciplines we can say that but uh, it doesn't happen because you have to see how ready our teachers have they been professionally developed in that sense how ready are teacher educators but uh, the other thing is that this remains on paper or it only sort of there it's there for the elite schools because if you look at even delhi government schools right a very small board i mean 1000 schools 1100 schools for delhi government 
very small as compared to what other states are, have to look at. And even here, two-thirds of the government schools do not offer science. They're only offering commerce and social science. Why is it? So, uh, and this state which goes to town saying that it's done an education revolution, which is really a very unpleasant thing to be hearing any government say on the basis of what it actually does. And it actually throws out students into the open school so that their marks don't show up in the CBSC exams. This is one of the states where all government schools and all poor children and all their marks will come up in the CBSE. Not all states have it. They have their state boards. You see? So that's the difference. So this state, if it wants to show only good marks, it has to throw out children into the open school. It does that. And not just that, it's not offering science. Why? We know the reasons. We know that there may not be science teachers who can teach at that level, that maths teachers are not there. We also know there are no labs. There are no facilities. Till class 10, they get away by doing no experiments only doing something for the final exam. So I'm saying within the system is a rational of its own of who gets what. The choice rhetoric is only there on paper. And it's only there for some very elite schools because private schools are also low-cost private schools, which are worse than government schools. Their teachers are not uh, trained. They don't have qualified teachers. So it's a small subset of our entire system, which might make use of these so-called choices or these options. So this sorting will allow you to push out a lot of people and not demand more, not want to come into the more specialized courses, which we know are not going to be really uh, open to people from disadvantaged classes or homes with unsupported families or backgrounds and things like that. Among the changes suggested in the school curriculum is the introduction of more vocational courses at the school level. Under the new curriculum rules being proposed, students would be able to opt to focus on vocational courses instead of the traditional ones. Professor Rampal says that this would work against many students, particularly those from disadvantaged backgrounds. What is called vocation is troublesome in our context. One, because vocation in our country still is tied to caste and uh, it is tied to advantage and social status and social capital. You know, where, who goes in for what kind of a course? I have been saying specifically that uh, we should have work-based education for everyone. Why should some people be pushed into a so-called less academic stream called vocational? We should have work-based education for anyone. You could be doing a science course and you do a work-based course. You do something else. You could be doing a work-based course. Not segregation. The segregation and differentiation is what then actually harms students and the kinds of opportunities that they might get to go further. We have to be conscious about these things, not just as rhetoric, which might sound nice, but through the ground realities and how constantly the ground realities play out their own logic and play out their own rational within the system. There's nothing called choice. But how do you see all these changes then you know, the fallout of all of this, that sort of centralization of exams, um, this sort of uh, mainstream attempt to make sure that people don't look beyond a certain thing, that they stick to the textbook, the textbook itself limits your vision and you look, you sort of have a blinkered view of what your world is in a sense. Um, how does all of this come together? We're risking a, 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 a kind of 
precarious uh, higher education, which sort of serves for the precariat as it is, like the gig economy serves the precariat. You know, you you do what you do. You're not you don't know you're not employed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The higher education also this four year course can serve that purpose. You leave after every year and you get a diploma. What is the value of that diploma? But you have something in your hand. This way you have something in your hand saying, I've done one year of, you paid for something. It was shocking that uh, someone just made this comment, uh, Delhi LG made the comment that degrees are just the receipts of the expenses that you paid for a course. He said that because when uh, AAP went into this show your degree campaign and things like that. He said, what is this? Degrees are just the receipt. So this is the way if degrees are meant to be just that, then uh, we are dismantling. In fact, what we have achieved in public education at the higher level, uh, which is what we need to really have expanded in a more higher quality, more inclusiveness, more opportunities, which we haven't done. And now we are dismantling even what we have done and then leaving it to all those who can pay to get whatever they want or the others to do, get all their credits from some teaching shop or some online, because that's what the university has allowed. They've spent time giving us a list of content creators who are not academics, they're companies. So you can go and get your credits from anywhere. So you can just shop around. We don't have enough universities, public universities being supported. State universities are, are, are literally, you know, falling apart. And we're not taking that seriously. We are talking of other things circumventing that. It's just going to be that higher education is for those, or even good quality education is for those who can pay for it. Today's episode was produced by Jairaj Singh, Sunai Marathe, and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas, and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TY+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at tuipodcast at timesinternet.in.